Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Synergize is a Kiwi solar energy company that got its start in 2012 by building the world's largest solar installation for a marina at Port Denarau in Fiji. Since then, it has expanded across the Pacific and New Zealand and has just welcomed a major investment by Todd Corporation, one of New Zealand's largest investment companies famous for its oil and gas businesses. To talk about Todd, the journey to get here and the future of solar, I was joined by directors Paul McCumbe, Lachlan McPherson and Nick Worthington. I started by asking Paul just how the company began. All right, well, it does sound like the beginning of a joke, Paul, a, uh, a tech entrepreneur, a pharmacist, an ad man and a banker walk into a pub in Fiji <laughs> <laughs> and start a business. T- yeah. Tell us about the beginning. Well, I mean, that that is true. <laughs> Pretty much um, a scenario where we were all looking at solar independently and I think um, I was looking at solar we'd both invested all of us had invested in a water company that wasn't doing so well and we're talking about things that we could be doing and um, we're talking about solar and Lockton says you know have you thought about um, you know solar and I said yeah I've been thinking about that and the idea was how do we do something that was different to what everyone was doing Uh And we looked at, you know, what were the, what you call them, the impediments for people taking up solar and say, look, oh, it's too expensive. Um, technology doesn't work. Um, you know, are we in the right climate for it? And if you think about it, you know, the technology was working, the right climate for it. Our friend, uh, RJ, the pharmacist, um, was in Fiji and they were using a lot of fossil fuel and they had a lot of sun. And um, how do we build something that people would want? Of course, you've got an admin in there and you put all of that together and we found a happy medium where we built um, a business around sustainability in an environment that needed it with the ability to tell a good story. And, you know, all we did was to find a way to package that up into something that people would want, need, and be able to use. Not many people wake up and think, I must start a new technology business in Fiji. You know, what? why in the Pacific? Um, I think the light bulb moment, if you want to call it that, was Ajay was standing knee deep in uh, floodwaters and talking about, I don't understand why these 100-year floods were happening every 10 years, right? And you think about, oh, well, there's something called climate change, (laughs) right? And if you think about it from that perspective that, you know, here he was standing knee-deep in a country that needed it, that had the resources for it, and just couldn't find a way to start making or taking charge of its own destiny from a climate change perspective, yeah. and, and that was it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
So a place of real need is a great place to start a business, right? And Lachlan, you were involved right at the beginning, right? So t- tell yeah. us about how you became a convert to this um, idea. Um, well, I guess it, it started with us talking yeah. about solar and talking about um, the impediment of the investment of getting solar on your roof um, and how people worried about the payback time. And, um, and f- for me, it really tweaked when Paul was like, you know, in the phone business, they give you the handset for free if you sign up to take the calls. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that—that's the—that's the solution." Yeah, um, we get people to sign agreements, and um, and we help them go solar for for no money down. Um, and I thought, you know, that that was the beginning of an amazing business idea, and that we innovated incredibly. Uh, and a quick Google search showed that there was two other companies in the US already doing it and yeah. it had been going for about a year yeah. um, okay. and uh, and one of them was actually Elon Musk's cousin's business um, so it looked like they might be onto a good thing um, but the world's a big place right there's there's room for more and Elon Musk wasn't about to start in the South Pacific no no well Paul do you want to jump in because yeah. you basically got on a plane to go and <laughs> learn about these businesses um, you know it's you, you can talk about six degrees of separation. Or, um, funny enough, I had done an investment in a documentary, and that had led me to get to meet somebody who knew Elon and who knew the people at Solar City really well. And um, Chris Payne, I called him up and I said, "Look, look we're thinking of starting the solar business. Um, do you know anyone I can talk to?" And that led him introducing us to the people at um, at Solar City, and having conversations with them. Um, and then from there, went to um, a solar convention where I stalked, uh, literally stalked Danny Kennedy, who became one of our founding directors. Uh-huh. Where he was giving a talk, he has been one of the two companies that had started. Um, solar as a service for residentials. And he gave a talk in Australia, I stalked him, and literally as he came off stage, we sat down for four hours and talked about, you know, the Pacific, talked about solar, activism, and climate change. And um, I think a couple of months later, I was on a plane to go and research um, solar as a service in the US. And thanks to Chris and to Danny, who were both part of our founding directors as advisors um, and well, you that's went where, and that's where we went yeah yeah, yeah. Just, a, just a little sidebar conversation Chris Payne is a documentary filmmaker and he made a really great film called Who Killed the Electric Car uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, you know what I loved about it is he approached the documentary like a whodunit yeah. and uh, it was it was super compelling yeah you know? yeah. So, yeah that's interesting Nick when did you find yourself involved with Synergize? Is it because of Lockie? Yeah, it was um, a relationship with Lockie. So I pretty much, uh, he, he let me know that he'd um, got involved um, with this startup and it was something I'd been very interested in for a long time. And I was looking to, you know, join the dots as well that no one had really joined and create a, um, you know, a, a viable sort of business in the future and somehow use the marketing skills I'd got to do that. I was particularly interested in New Zealand and my dream, had, you know, the thing that niggled me, I guess, was that, 
you know, New Zealand, 100% pure New Zealand. Um, you know, I love that. And the, the electricity is in the grid is like, we're 81% pure mm. and we're so close. Mm. And it was like, always irritated me that just like, you know, is good, good enough? You know, why don't we go to a hundred um, and just lead the world? And it just seemed like one of those things that would be so easy to do. Um, so yeah, anyway, I joined with these guys and uh, thought this would be fantastic and kept a bit more of an eye on New Zealand and a bit more of a focus on New Zealand and whilst the Pacific kind of just really took off mm. and all of the um, investment and Paul and, and Lockie can talk to this kind of better than I can. But yeah, the interest and the, the, the sense in the Pacific was just so compelling I mean, literally, that everyone was burning. They're importing diesel, you know, boatloads of diesel from you know America or the, you know, the Arab world, um, and just burning it to run beautiful, pristine resorts um, in the Pacific and the port and everything and industry. Mm. And it was costing them a huge amount of money. Yeah. So you know, um, a very, very expensive way, um, just in dollar terms. So it's bankrupting the country and everything. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I think for years um, the the business grew fast in the Pacific, <clears throat> based on the economics and the, and the backers we'd got. Uh, you could just see it, it was just no brainer, man. Yeah. You could just walk in there and uh, the model that uh, Paul had um, and and Lockie had built and the team had built was again just removing those obstacles, right? So we we haven't got any money, it's okay, we'll pay for it. They put it on the roof and but electricity expensive this is half the cost you know so you're giving people stuff for free that they can't afford and uh, saving them money and giving them a great story and cleaning up you know a beautiful part of the world as well so yeah. what were the first few projects you you've aimed at a kind of industrial scale installations right so you, you didn't go down the residential route you went down industrial and commercial yeah, yeah uh, <clears throat> I think from the start, effectively, we looked at, you know, um, how do you really get impact? If you think about it from an, if you did for one industrial scale, it would be the same as doing a thousand houses. Yeah. And you only had to manage one customer as opposed to a thousand customers. Yeah. yeah. So from that perspective, we looked at um, the ability to get as much scale as quickly as possible. And more importantly, if you look at, solar profile and usage most people would be at home working and it's those industries that are using the energy at the time that the sun is actually generating the most energy so that made sense for us yeah does the um appetite for solar meet what kind of traditional resistance is met you know how, how did you overcome the uh, i suppose the the objections i think the, the main objection is, is people think solar, wasn't that something that happened in the 70s and just didn't really go anywhere? Uh, and so I think it's had such a stumbling start. Yeah. People haven't watched the, the exponential curve that's happening in technology and in the way pricing has got cheaper. Mm. And in fact, the other hurdle was with pricing coming cheaper, um, people were like, well, I'll wait till next year before I invest. So there was... There was that double thing. There was a, a doubt about how effective it was. And then there was that natural concern about why would I put my money down now when it's going to be cheaper next year. Yeah. Um, and with us coming along going, do you know what? We'll look after the technology and we'll look after the upfront cost. 
Um, it allowed us to have a conversation with people around something as simple as a better power cost to you. Yeah. You've also introduced this very cool, I don't know whether it was Lockie or Nick or Paul who introduced the, the synergized dial, right, that, that you can see. T- tell me about that. Um, well, that was a designer, Brogan Avril. We, um, we, and, you know, Nick's um, great at making sure you always surround yourself with amazing people, um, super talented. Yeah. And we'd had a logo that we were kind of liking. And um, when Nick came on board, he was like, let's just get the best people working on the business. And, um, and so we went to Brogan and basically said, we're taking the brand to the next level. Um, we need your help to really refine the iconography around the, the brand. Yeah. Um, One of the um, the things that was interesting about electricity in general uh, for any industry, you, you try and um, you try and work out how much it's going to cost you, and you get a good good sort of idea. But you never really know until the bill comes, and and it's invisible pretty much to you in real time as you're using it. Um, you don't really know how much you're burning, so. It's kind of, it's that invisible magic thing. Electricity powers everything, but we don't really know how much we're using. Mm. So the idea of um, creating, taking that logo that Brogan did and uh, creating a visualisation that allowed you to see in real time how much you, you know, electricity you were using. Um, and obviously, if you've got one of our solar installations, you can see how much you're generating <laughs> from the sun yeah. versus how much you're pulling from the grid. And obviously, you can gamify that. Uh, because as soon as you can see something, you can kind of like, you know, I came here in a Tesla and there's a little bar, the regenerative braking. <laughs> so I enjoy, you know, taking my foot off the accelerator because I know I'm putting, you know, um, you know, dollars in the bank, so to speak. Mm. And again, um, that visualization thing, I think, is one of the things that's going to like transform the, um, the whole kind of industry and power usage. And it is doing. We got in, you, you got it in your pocket now. I look at mine probably. 20 times a day. <laughs> so we're on um, audio here. So describe the, what does it look like on your phone when you look, at, when you see it? Well, it's really, really simple. And as, as Lockie was saying, I mean, our logo is a, J, a great big red sun, you know, the Japanese flag. It's got two, um, two other little tiny amounts of colour around it where they make it sort of resonate so it glows a little bit. On the, um, the app, um, when you open the app, it knows who you are and um or which company you are you know associated with and you can see it just loads and then you can see the sun rises and the higher it gets is a line in the middle and when as it goes above that line you're 100 percent on solar and as it sinks down below and it also prompts you um to if you want the sun to go higher to use energy efficient devices switch things off you know be aware of your consumption and that we actually did a thing at um, Colenso when we got it on the roof at Colenso. We got everyone in reception and we had a, a dashboard on the wall, a, you know, a screen on the wall with this app on it. And um, we literally, floor by floor, had a kind of old school call-out system. Switch everything off on the top floor! <laughs> and um, so everyone, you know, switched everything off on the top floor. And we watched the sun rise and we got to 50% of, you know, power Mm. from the sun. And then it was the next floor and we got up to 89, I think, percent at that time. The servers were still on and the fridges and things. But it was just a beautiful visual demonstration of, and, you know, and you can actually do that in real time. So, um, 
hopefully that's painted a picture, a red sun that goes up and down and it gets goes into a grey area, which is bad. And then it goes into a beautiful, bright red area, which is good. Yeah. Uh, so it's just yeah. good and evil, really, you know. I think more importantly <laughs> on, on, on that is that what we've seen with everywhere where we've done an installation is that you do a design based on their usage. So you say, we're going to design a solar system that will take 20% of your power, daytime usage. But because you've got that visualization, you've got the app, what you'll notice is that people become more aware of how they use power. And, you know, we've always seen that we've designed something that's designed to take 20%. And after about a week or two, you realize it's taking 25 or 30% because people are more aware of right. how they use power. And that's the most powerful I thing about the app. That's, that's interesting. Right. It's yeah. all power to the people. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely. On average, I think we predict an energy saving. But when the app is on display in a space like the lobby, yeah. We see an extra 15% because yeah. the usage is managed better. People yeah. are yeah. kind of mindful to turn stuff off when they leave the building. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So it's not just a, a change in the technology, it's a change in behaviour. Yeah. And that behaviour is based on perception and more transparency in the way yeah. you engage with it, right? 100%. I mean, totally I think when we, when we started off as well, we realised that uh, most of the big players and the influences in the market, particularly in New Zealand, were talking about energy uh, conservation. You know, so the first thing that ECA would tell you if they're doing an audit on your business is like, okay, reduce your power usage, you know, conserve energy. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but there's no real tools to make that kind of real and tangible. So and by no, doing nobody this, likes being told stop. Yeah, no, no, that's it right. kind of yeah. goes against our nature to, you know, we like doing stuff, making yeah. things, building yeah. things. So. Uh, anyway, I'm interrupting. What, what happens next? No, no, no. I mean, I think that's uh, exactly right. But so we, we, we realised it wasn't just, you know, our business really wasn't just about, um, you know, putting more production on your roof and offsetting that, you know, um, you know the carbon that you take from the grid and everything. It was really about behavioural change. Mm. Yeah. And through visualisation and making people aware of their usage. Um, yeah, so, so it was... Um, you know, I think as Paul was sort of starting to say, and certainly the companies I've been involved in, you you start to go, okay, where is our energy draw coming from? Yeah. You know, and you go, wow, it's aircon. Okay, let's get an aircon management system. Right. And, you know, and it starts as domino effect. Mm. <coughs> it starts mm. and you start down knocking all those things and people mm. ask questions, which had never been visible to them before. So it's, it ends up being about better, um, people end up buying better equipment that's more energy efficient. Um, and it's about conservation and you know and mindfulness yeah. about the useful use of electricity. Yeah, I interviewed uh, a guy called Michael Eglin who is trying to build electric ferries for Auckland and Tauranga. And one of the things he said is, let's not just build another ferry. You know, we could do that, but why don't we get a step change in the way ferries work? Mm. So yeah. now they're building a ferry network with boats that talk to each other and, and do demand management. And you know, one of the issues in Auckland is a busy harbour, right? So the ferries sit waiting for another boat chugging away, you know, diesel pouring into the atmosphere. If they knew in advance when they could dock, they wouldn't even have to leave the leave their, um, leave Devonport, say. Um, so the, he's finding that the conversation around power actually has become a conversation around, well, how does the whole network communicate? And that changes behaviour and thinking. It's really interesting. It does remind me of um, the next question, though, which is around, I think we should satisfy the nerds in our audience who want to know about the tech, right? 
So um, who can answer my question about how does power come out of the sun into our machines and tell us about the battery technology that might exist in, within that? Do you uh, want to dive in? Yeah, I, I'm just going to yeah. disappoint the nerds and say there is not one nerd amongst us, which is probably why this works. He was a pharmacist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, look, what we've, uh, the premise of how we built the business was we took um, an existing technology, which is, you know, I mean, solar technology is what, probably 70 years old. And I don't think much has changed, you know, effectively um, you've got um, the panels that effectively capture energy from the sun, convert that from direct current to AC through an inverter, which we then use. I don't think there's anything that has changed over the last 70 years from when the technology happened. What's happening now is we're just finding better materials that, you know, um, increase the efficiency of that energy conversion. Right, so and that, that efficiency has is now growing exponentially, it, right? it, 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 it With um, the current technology, I think we are 24%. I think um, all the scientists say, you know, using silicon, you're gonna get to 30%, so. Okay. And, and I don't think you can get any higher than that, but they are starting to experiment with new materials, which will take us further. So the efficiency is not growing exponentially, What? but the price is Cost. falling, right? Yes. I think the, there's a Moore's law in solar tech, just like there is in computing, although it's not called Moore's law, but, and instead of doubling um, in, in kind of processing power and halving in cost, I think it's 30% yeah. and 30%. Um, but uh, part of the key to the early success of Sunergize is we were technologically agnostic. Yeah. So we would just buy the best tech for that particular client mm. and put it on their roof. And when in the first five years of the business, tech was changing a bit. And the fact that we hadn't invested in a particular kind of panel or weren't hooked up to a certain kind of way of doing things allowed us to just do the right thing by our clients. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Do you use batteries? Are batteries necessary yeah. adjunct? Um, I, I, I don't. It depends where you are. So if you're in an off-grid situation um, where there is no grid, uh, you need the batteries, right? Uh, if you're connected to the grid, um, you know, I'm probably going to upset some people here, but if I'm in New Zealand right now, I would not be investing in batteries because the grid is the best battery mm. for me. And from a cost perspective, you know, over time with, you know, more um, electrification of vehicles, the cost of batteries will come down. And, you know, if you're generating your own power, you'll decide when you'll use it. But right now, if you're generating your own power and you're not using it, putting it into the grid is probably the best battery. Right, okay. Yeah. From a cost perspective. So here in New Zealand, Great yeah. Barrier Island is obviously Tesla batteries because yeah. they're off-grid out there. And in fact, I think Sunergize is the energy utility over there. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're the biggest power company on the barrier thanks to about eight customers, you know. So. Well, let's talk about the market. Um, New Zealand is famous for its uh, hydro and geothermal. Uh, is New Zealand a market for solar? I don't know. Maybe, Nick, this is a good question for you. You know, you, you're a passionate New Zealander, um, uh, even though you're a POM originally. Why New Zealand? I, I would have thought Australia would be a great place 
to do solo? Well, um, first of all, I live here. So, uh, that's, um, I'm interested and there's reasons why I live here. I, I think this country has taught me a lot since I've been here. Uh, Great Barrier Islands taught me a lot about sustainability. And I think you, when I first started going to the barrier uh, 20, 30 years ago, um, I think they would have said themselves that they felt a little bit backward. Actually, they were way ahead of everyone else. And I could kind of see that coming over from London. That They were all running on solar back then, 30 years ago. Um, they all had vermiculture, you know, they were, you know, looking after all their own waste. They looked after their own water and they were completely self-sufficient and uh, it was really inspiring. So the, um, yeah, the New Zealand, what was your question? <laughs> why NZ, not Oz? Well, yeah, why, why New Zealand? In terms of the market opportunity, I guess. Yeah, yeah. okay. I mean, I will stumble on. <laughs> no, the, um, I think the market opportunity, again, for me, from a, a marketing perspective, was that New Zealand can do it, right? And if you're in the UK and you've got 27% of renewables and you've really backed, um, you know, um, nuclear and you're buying nuclear from, you know, France and whatnot and you're building nuclear uh, reactors and you're burning coal and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they were doing a lot of work, but they're never going to get to 100, mm -hmm. right? Um, but to look at New Zealand as an inspirational place in the world that can easily get to 100, the why wouldn't you, right? I personally think that 100% pure New Zealand needs a good shot in the arm, right? Because I think there was a time where it became a little less credible than, you know, than mm. people, than the story. Mm. You know? um, well, even our Prime Minister said it's just a marketing phrase, right? Yeah, so I mean, I'll be careful of that, to be honest, because I think people want to believe that it's a lot more than that. And I think it is really close to being true. And so to do a nudge, um, why don't we just stop burning coal? You know, I mean, the climate issue now has, has become so, you know, forefront, you know, in people's minds. And the government itself has said by 2050, you know, we've got to be uh, net zero. Mm -hmm. um, the only way we're going to do it is stop burning fossil fuels. And you need the, you know, the solution for that. Mm. To do the, what we need to do here is um, if everyone did 20% of their power came from uh, renewables and if they were involved, if they run in a company, if you could generate 20% of your own power from renewable sources, pretty much you're actually becoming 100%, right? Mm. Because 80% in the grid is from renewables is. anyway. Yeah. So if everyone does that, now I'm doing it, right? I've got it on my house, um, I've got it on my business, um, and, um, and you know, we're doing that, and it's You so managed easy. to convince everyone around you. I remember, you, unfortunately, oh. the company I was working for at the time, we couldn't do it, but... You know, yeah, you're, I mean, you're an evangelist. I'm an evangelist because it's it's so ridiculously easy. Um, there's you don't even see it, right? It's on a roof, and mm. most most people that own big warehouses don't actually get up and have a look on their roof area. They wouldn't know what was up there, right? <laughs> and um, and it works there invisibly. It needs virtually no maintenance. You know, really, really low maintenance. And as soon as you plug it in, it's just offsetting. You know, or providing twenty, thirty percent of your power mm. straight away, mm. depending on the size of it. And, um, and it's saving you dollars and it's giving you a great story and it's the future and you're going to be running around in electric vehicles really soon and you will wake up one day and decide that you don't want to carry on putting diesel in your car and it'll be an electric car mm. and you'll know why you're doing it. And mm. that's because you're going to make New Zealand a better country and um, you know, a better place and, and you're going to do something for the you know, for the, your children and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Paul, the um, talk about building a, a, a big hydro um, 
storage facility in in the South Island. You know, does is that relevant to you? Do you care? Um, I, I think it is. It, it is. Um, it is. Um, I'm not going to shoot it down as an idea. I'm going to say it is one of many ideas that will come that actually show that the country is trying to get to 100%, right? So building a hydro dam uh, or hydro storage is effectively the government's, it's probably one of many ideas that the government will probably look at and review as a means to get the country to 100%. It shows that, you know, we, we are committed to getting there and it's one of the pillars that may or may not get us there. In the same way, it could be that, you know, we mandate that every house that is built should have solar. We mandate that every building that is built must have solar, that you know, that will also get us there. And there's other technologies that will get us there. So I think it is very relevant to what we do. And, you know, just building on what your last question to Nick, I think the world needs um, someone to stand up and be an inspiration and I think New Zealand being 80% and having a really good movement or groundswell of people who want to get us to 100% renewable is closer than a lot of countries and it's a country that people look up to and if we can get there you know and show the world that we can be 100% renewable you know then our actions in terms of what we do will always be about how do we maintain 100% renewable, you know, when we build a house, how do we make that house, you know, um, you know, um, 100% uh, renewable, how do we make it um, carbon neutral, how mm-hmm. do we make that, you know, how do we make that house move from being uh, an energy consumer to being an energy producer? Mm-hmm. And if we're able to do that as a country, we might inspire other countries. Right. And, and, and your point is that these things are not fixed endpoints, right? Oh. So you get to 100% renewable energy and then your goalpost shifts in yeah. terms of ambitions. What about the materials that are going to be in this house? How are they going to be recycled and, and yeah. reused? So it kind of is aspirational, isn't it? I, it? I remember the same journey started for me years ago, drinking fair trade coffee and thinking, what about my tea? Yeah. Mm. What about my chocolate? Exactly. Actually, what about this meat where and and the it started with a very very that's your point about nudge right it's yeah. like mm. yeah yeah uh, it was just a very small moment but it kind of opened a conversation exactly. in my mind you, you you take it's a step along your first step along a journey and every single step thereafter you think about how am i getting how am i how am i moving forward what are the things that i am doing so you get you know a business gets to oh yeah we've now offset uh, 20% of our power and we can consider ourselves to be 100% uh, renewable. Oh, hang on, uh, what are we doing with our waste? You know, oh, what is it that we're doing with our products? How are we communicating with our customers? How, so it's, it's a real paradigm shift and right. it seems so small, which is why it's so powerful because it sets you along a journey, you know, that you probably don't even think about how powerful that first step is because you start to question and you start to think about how you interact with the world differently and how you can change um, 
how you can change your own world and other people's. Jeez, you guys really are evangelists. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, just to, to de- demonstrate that you're not complete nutcases, you actually had a massive investment what, yeah. in the last six months from Todd Corporation. Now, uh, just to put it in perspective for those that don't know Todd, uh, probably the richest family in New Zealand, have a heritage in oil and gas, um, huge infrastructure investment, property, I think they've sold out of their property side of things, but serious investors, right? So tell us about that that investment. I don't know, Lockie, do you want to tell us about that? Um, well, we obviously talked about it a lot in the months leading up to it becoming official. And, um, and to be honest, I think I did, and maybe Nick as well, we sort of struggled with, gosh, these are... New Zealand's, you know, oil drillers um, and, you know, massively invested in what we were, um, you know, very well aware as the old tech um, and, you know, how do, how would we even fit together? Um, and then I think in one of the conversations we just heard the word transition to and for me it was just like, of course, nobody's going to flick a switch and become, you know, 100% renewable overnight. Um, we're all making steps towards it. And if a group as big as Todd and as invested in what was the old way uh, are willing to look at moving forward with a group as young and enthusiastic um, and you know challenging those old ways, if they were willing to look at what we were doing and seriously looking at it, that word transition just totally made it for me on a on an emotional level, mm. um, and uh, and of course having a group as trusted and powerful sitting behind a group as kind of energetic and enthusiastic yeah. as us yeah. really helped our story. Yeah. Um, because we've always been communicating to large enterprises or big community groups. So that was a real shot in the arm as well for you guys, right? Real confidence booster, Nick. You know, the, to have yeah, I mean, for me, I established. Mean, again, I'm not the financial uh, expert, but I understand that you know uh, having access to money allows you to do things, which is always exciting. And uh, the way they had grown in the Pacific was, uh, you know, our major backer in the Pacific um, came from the World Bank, from the IFC. And uh, they had, again, um, they had an agenda to make the world a better place and to invest in uh, companies that could actually work with third world uh, countries to help them achieve some of their goals in, um, you know, renewable and all that kind of stuff that they wouldn't achieve otherwise. So we had a a kind of, I'd say, a fat stream of investment that allowed us to uh, execute our model, which was us paying, you know, for things up front and then with a long tail of earnings for, you know, for decades to come. but it was like a, the model was cash intensive uh, up front. And we wanted to do the same model uh, in New Zealand. Um, and the economics are, you know, more marginal here. You know, it's not, the, the profits weren't so obvious. And, um, and it took a bit of time for those things to sort of close, the gap to close for the economics to work here. But to then to have someone like Todd who actually cares about New Zealand, right? So their agenda is we want to be transformative, as Lockie says, but they want to transform uh, New Zealand. And um, and then they can see that this is part of that, uh, we could be part of that future. Mm. So that's extremely exciting for us. And we needed to replace um, one rich uncle <laughs> with another one, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, so far I think those 
two very different organisations. The way we're working together uh, has enormous potential and uh, is extremely exciting. So in, in the minutes that remain, uh, I want you to articulate your vision maybe for the short term but also the, the longer term. What does it look like with the backing of Todd, with this uh, fantastic track record of success you've had in the Pacific and now starting in New Zealand? What does it look like for you, Paul? What does success look like? <laughs> he, he says, uh, looking tired. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, I think um, anyway, building on from what Lockie and Nick said about Todd is, um, you know, they're a company that's been going for 130 years and they have aspirations to go on for another 130, if not more, right? And, you know, for me as, you know, that those next 130 years include, you know, what is a really small part of 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 the business as synergize, changing um, the way the country uses and you know generates its energy, and that we become 100% renewable, and that synergize is you know, at you know, uh, an influential part of that change. So that and being with a company like Todd that is steeped in history in terms of business and in energy generation, that synergizes a part of that. You mm-hmm. know, we can, 130 years, they can say, look, oh yeah, what is synergize? And it may be, it may not really be, um, you know, um, solar generation. It may be something else, but as long as it is an energy and it is 130 years, we can look back and, uh, and say, look, you know, we started something that is, um, continuing and it's based around how people generate and use energy mm. yeah. great how about you Lockie what does that future look like well yeah at a deeply kind of personal level I've enjoyed some amazing days on beaches in the mountains swimming in rivers and um, I'd love to see my kids enjoy those days and many more to come, and their kids and their kids, and uh, it's just making sure that we uh, we have the best of what we've enjoyed and, and let it carry on for generations. Mm. Mm. Because it's under threat, right? That's what you're saying. It's definitely under threat. I mean, if there's time, you know, Paul mentioned that AJ, that first year, they had a 100-year storm, and it was they were coming every 10 years, but they're coming every year now in Fiji, yeah. and um, AJ's uh, family pharmacy business in the main street in Nandi I remember the first year they got caught out and all the stock was on the lower shelves or at reach level. And then about six years ago, he was telling me, oh, it's probably going to rain. And so they put everything up above head height and it still reached that. And then about five years ago, um, I spoke to him. He was freaking out because they put everything in the floor above, which was their offices, and it was up there. And I think the last flood, it was waist deep up in that floor above. and yeah, that's big floodwaters going through, and they're not coming every ten years now. Those hundred-year storms are coming nearly every year, um, and can only carry on for so long. Mm. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Nick? What does what does it feel yeah. like in five years' time, ten years' time, maybe even longer? Yeah, I mean, I think this is you know this one's personal, um, so it's kind of something that I'll probably be trying to be involved in for the rest of my life. I think. Um, yeah, I just I just can't believe that people aren't moving as fast um, as they could. 
Um, and, the, you know, the transition from maybe a couple of years ago where people were actually just saying that climate, you know, change isn't, hasn't got anything to do with humanity and the way we're burning our, you know, resources and stuff like that. Um, you know, it was, I think everyone now agrees that um, change needs to come. The answer's there. It's been there for, as Paul said, 70 years, uh, along with all the other renewables. You know, the, the work they did in the 50s in New Zealand with uh, capturing water to provide power, you know, extraordinary, absolutely visionary, absolutely brilliant. And we're just, I think this last, you know, um, I don't know, generation or whatever has been quite the benefit of that, but quite lazy as well and not doing things that they could do. So I just really want to be um, an agitator and a facilitator. And um, we, we founded this company or founded it. I, would, I came in just a little bit late. But um, when talking to um, Paul and Lockie, we both work for non-profit you know, organisations and commercial entities. And the idea of missionaries and mercenaries working together um, that understand economics and that you have to have an economic model and uh, but you're also full of missionaries that actually know they just want to do the right thing. When you put those uh, two groups of people together, uh, you can actually create some really positive change and uh, an amazing economic outcomes as well. So I think that's um, what's always been uh, exciting for me. And um, and yeah, I, I love the group of people that we've got together and the people we're attracting as well that are sharing that vision. So. Um, just want to run as fast as we can. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I, I think just just close off on that, Nick, is success will be when, you know, being sustainable is not an option. It's just what we do. Yeah. Right? When it's like, you know, we, we don't have to think about it. It's just what we do and it's the only thing. Yeah. 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 It's been great talking to you guys, uh, Paul, Lockie and Nick. Uh, there are others in the company, I'm sure, who would like to squeeze into the studio, but we couldn't fit them. Uh, all the best and um, thanks for joining us on this climate business. Thank you. Thank you, Vincent. It's great Cheers. to chat. Thanks. Awesome, Thank guys. you, Vincent. That was just so great. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. I got a call with Danny and reminded that, you know, like he got off the stage literally and I was like, um, you got a minute? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to sit on the board of the company? Yeah. Yeah. Form, yeah. <laughs> you got a minute? And she's like, "What are you?" And it's like, oh, I, I, "This is this is what we sh- this is what we're talking about." And literally, we went to a coffee stand, and we both got a coffee and we sat down. <laughs> keep, keep, pull, pull that around keep and talking. keep, keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We went to a coffee stand. We sat down. And it was like, um, he had, you know, an espresso and I had a flat white and we sat down and we started talking. He's like, oh yeah, telling me about his work in Greenpeace and how he loved the Pacific. And I said, I said, he loves the Pacific. <laughs> he really loves the Pacific. And he's been there, he's traveled and he's been arrested, uh, you know, a number of times for protesting in Papua New Guinea, for protesting in, in, in Australia. And, you know, he understands what we wanted to do. And this is like within the first hour. Like, we kept talking. He's like, do you want another coffee? Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, after four hours, we were like, so um, are you okay with being on the board? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we literally, at that time, we were, <clears throat> it, it was the same thing, like with Nigel, our first customer. 
It's like, we're thinking of doing this solar thing and this side's going to work. It's like, yep, right. When can you start? I haven't finished my pitch yet. (laughs) (laughs) I want to overcomplicate the sale if I could. Exactly. So Nigel owns Port Dinneral Marina, or his family does. Yeah, Um, and that was the first project. Yeah, and he's a Dunedin guy. So kind of the New Zealand-Fiji connection definitely helped us get going. Yeah, And that was a massive project at the time. I mean, some of the things that we didn't talk about, which again is super exciting. I mean, there's so much, hey. But I mean, um, these guys over in the Pacific just kind of crunching deals. And it's, you know, again, there's two degrees of separation in New Zealand. Fiji's probably even a closer community, right? Yeah. And um, so the big bowling plant for Coca-Cola in um, in the Pacific after Port Dennerau was done, and they, oh, that's cool, and the big hotels coming on board and that kind of stuff. Then I don't know who started the conversation with Coke, but hey, you got a big bowling plant, burns a shitload of diesel and you know and, and energy. Uh, what about just going 100% solar? Mm. And again, they just said yes. Yeah. And um, I don't, you know, it's not as simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> Two yeah. years of <laughs> contract negotiation, but two years is fast, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and now their their you know bowling plant in Fiji uh, is just hums um, with with the sun with sunshine. Yeah. So what could be more perfect, you know, for me? And to be able to you know to bring that thing to New Zealand and yeah. just tell those stories like Goodman Field, a big you know a big Australian, are they? But you know, massive in New Zealand as well. Uh, over in the Pacific, again they've embraced you know solar big time in the Pacific through you know through Sunagize, and you know so that it's there yeah. you know it's all it can just happen yeah and um, it, because it's been so fringe for so long, isn't it? And now what 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 you guys are doing with this business model innovation is you're it's it's now mainstreaming it, isn't it? That yeah. that's kind of the story. Yeah, and, and you know it, mainstreaming it, and you know the technologies is you know changing really fast and in from a cost to produce your energy um, relative to other technologies it's really really close now and if you're building a new building you know you'd be silly not to put solar on it because yeah. you can generate your own power yeah. at probably cheaper than what it costs you to buy you know um, from the grid mm. so I mean, the U-turn's been sensational, and again, not many people are paying attention, but at the beginning of the year, um, Transpower, who basically just like, you know, they run the grid across the country, but they also have some amazing data analytics uh, analytics about where the power comes from and the usage and all that kind of stuff, so they publish that live, you know, to anyone mm-hmm. at any time. Uh, they came out, and they've never really talked about um, solar. You know, it's just been one of those things that they've like made a point of not talking about. <laughs> and then in February, they um, they published a paper, which was, I think it was called The Sun Rises on Solar, which was an incredible piece, which is a 100% U-turn on their point of uh, view, right. which just said the future of power for New Zealand, the cheapest electrons in the grid are going to come from sunshine. Right. Right, and that's going to be wind, it's going to be hydro, uh, it's going to be geothermal, and it's certainly going to be the uh, the old um, fossil fuel, um, you know, generation. So, you know, okay, it's not here yet. You know, it's still it's tough. You know, the the market is tough, but that's the way it's going, and that's the way it's going in the states. Uh, the investments in the states it's it's extraordinary. Again, when you I think Bloomberg did a, a study on investment and return. Uh, in the energy sector in the States. And I think, again, the fracking and all that stuff you hear about in the States and the oil production and whatnot, 
I think the uh, in this in this article it said they're returning like one percent, one point five percent for their shareholders. Yeah. And uh, whereas the the green energy sector, led by the nutcases like you know Danny <laughs> Kennedy and Elon Musk's, you know, are returning up to fifty percent. So where's the money going in investment? That's all they were talking about. Yeah. The money is going into renewables fast yeah. and because that's where the returns are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, the invisible hand of technology and change that moves, um, you know, I just like New Zealand to be at the front of their wave and not, you know, one of those laggards, you yeah. know, following along. Awesome. Good stuff. We better get to work. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.